can see in the very latest data that for the first time ever, the number of unemployed people per job vacancy has fallen to one. So there's actually enough jobs for all the unemployed people in Britain um, now. Before the pandemic, that number was at 1.5, and it shot up to four during uh, the peak of the pandemic in 2020, but it's come right back down, and it is now lower than it ever has been on the consistent data that we've got going back to 2000. Hello and welcome to COVID Matters, a podcast by COVIDAID. I'm your host, Cheryl, and I'm the head of content at COVIDAID. On today's episode, I talk to Daniel Tomlinson, who's a senior economist at the Resolution Foundation, currently working on the Economy 2030 Inquiry. The Resolution Foundation is an independent think tank focused on improving living standards for those on low to middle incomes, and their scope covers a wide range of economic and social policy. As part of their upcoming work, they've launched a project called the Economy 2030 Inquiry, which looks to examine this decade of huge economic change in the UK, from COVID-19 recovery to exiting the EU, and transitioning towards a net zero future. Their work looks to set out a plan for how we can successfully navigate these changes. In today's conversation, I talked to Dan about the Begin Again report, which was published by the Resolution Foundation in November 2021, and it assesses the permanent implications of the COVID-19 pandemic on today's UK labour market. We talk about things like changes to our working behaviours as a result of the pandemic and how these changes might impact smaller businesses, how to support people out of work due to long COVID or poor health, and what a successful policy for today's job market might look like. I work at the Resolution Foundation and uh, our think tank is focused on the living standards of families in the UK on low to middle incomes. And I think we're proud of some of the work that we've done during the pandemic. So we were uh, one of the first people to call for the furlough scheme. We wrote the think tank paper that suggested the government would need to do something to protect uh, workers and firms from the big economic kick that the pandemic was about to bring. Back when everything was all really unclear in uh, February and March 2020. And then over the past two years, we've been tracking uh, what's been happening to people who've been furloughed, uh, what's been happening to the labour market more generally, and to the economy as well. And now we are moving into a new phase of our work where, um, as part of a big project, which is called the Economy 2030 Inquiry, we are thinking about COVID in the context of the other really big changes that are buffeting the UK economy. So yes, there's the the long-term impact of the pandemic, which we'll focus on in our discussions today. But uh, we think that policymakers need to think about that alongside the fact that the economy has to go through a transition to be uh, low carbon and eventually zero carbon by 2050. And that needs to accelerate in the 2020s. And then also, uh, particularly for our businesses and people that work in businesses that uh, trade um, with other countries, 
the impact of Brexit is going to really shake things up for them as well. And so we're thinking about all of those things in the round and what they mean for the country and what they mean for how we might try and get growth back as an economy because we haven't had much of that for too long now. So these are huge topics that will impact us as a country. And today, our focus in order to kind of narrow down your work, we'll be talking about a report called the Begin Again Report. This report, as I'm sure you'll know, it was published in November of last year, so 2021, and it kind of looks at the implications of the pandemic on the labour market. So to begin with, how did the labour market fare during the first year of the pandemic? Uh, The labour market fared well, actually. Given the size of the economic shock, so we'll all remember just how uh, drastic what happened in March 2020 was, and it was repeated to a lesser but still really significant extent later on in the year with the further lockdowns. Given the size of that economic hit, you would have expected uh, many firms to go under, many people to be let go from their employment, and people who were leaving uh, education or wanting to join the labour market, finding it really difficult to get a job because the economy was being totally gutted. Uh, but the government stepped in as it was right for them to do. And as I say, as as we called for as well, with, with some schemes to protect the self-employed, which did have some, some problems in terms of coverage and self-employed who were maybe new in the role, weren't able to get the support that those who've been self-employed for longer were. But the big intervention was the furlough scheme, where millions of people were furloughed over the course of the pandemic maybe a third of the labour market or there or thereabouts. And that really made a difference in keeping unemployment pretty low, actually. It peaked at 5%. Many people thought it would peak much higher and it would have certainly done without the interventions that the government provided. And actually the rise in people moving out of the labour market altogether. So when we think of the jobs market, it's important to be clear what we're talking about. So there's the people who are in work, there's the people who are unemployed. So they're not working, but they're actively looking for work. And then there's a separate group who economists will call the economically inactive. They're the people who aren't working and aren't looking for work. And that group didn't actually rise that much during the core of the pandemic either, although there are now some uh, prolonged challenges with that, which we should definitely come back to later in the discussion. But given the size of the shock, the unemployment rise was quite small. And yes, the number of people who were out of work altogether went up too, but it didn't go up by as much as you'd expect. And I think it's it's probably important to contextualise here that what the Beginner Again report does is it compares this crisis, so the pandemic, to you know previous crises and also the period just before the pandemic. And that's how you're able to kind of contrast these figures to other periods of time in which we were hit by things like the recession and similar crises. So were the findings of this report consistent across the UK in the way that unemployment didn't rise as significantly as expected? That's a great question. Um, I think that we can see in the past that actually there were quite significant geographic concentrated hits from the changes that happened. So in the 1980s, you see really big increases in unemployment in particular uh, parts of the country that were focused on manufacturing or uh, on the coal industry. In the 2000s and the financial crisis, there's less of a geographical effect, but there's definitely a sectoral effect with uh, people who are working in financial services and that industry uh, being one that was particularly hard hit. But in this crisis, actually the effect has been quite broad-based across the country. Um, In part, that's because the sectors that were really hit, hospitality and leisure and retail, are spread out across the country because wherever you live, you spend money on those things. 
I think there were some uh, bigger effects in big cities, and London does stand out here, where um, we saw that the share people who were furloughed um, in some of the outer London boroughs, so people who were commuting in to work in, say, coffee shops or restaurants or bars in central London uh, and lived in outer London, those people in those places were most affected, and also the tourist hotspots across the country as well. But the big difference really wasn't about the geography of the impacts of the pandemic, but more about the impact on uh, sectors and the fact that certain types of people were more likely to work in the sectors that were shut down. So young people were much more likely to be furloughed for most of the pandemic than middle-aged people, lower-paid people more than those um, on higher wages. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear, actually. I suppose in the way that the pandemic has kind of divided the country in terms of restrictions, you would assume things would vary. I wonder if we could talk as well about the self-employment market. Ourselves at COVID-Aid, that's kind of an area that we've not really touched upon, but how were they impacted during the pandemic? The big difference between the people who are employees and the people who are self-employed is that the support scheme for the self-employed um, wasn't as well targeted. So there were some self-employed who maybe just started out with their own business, but because they haven't done a tax return from the previous year, the government didn't give them any support through the self-employed income support scheme. So some of the self-employed really would have found it really difficult during the pandemic. Others um, would have received actually quite a substantial amount in terms of the grants that they received through the self-employed income support scheme. And I think they're better during the pandemic and managed to withstand it. It's really difficult for us to pick to pick out exactly what happened to the self-employed um, and how they changed how they work. Because at the same time as the pandemic, the government did quite a technical thing, which I won't go into detail on, but it changed the way that it asked people who contracted with the same firm to class themselves. And it said, you shouldn't be classing yourself as self-employed anymore. If you contract with the same firm for a long period of time, then you should class yourself as an employee. So we can see that there were um, 750,000 fewer self-employed by the end of last year than compared to before the pandemic. And uh, over half of them had moved from being self-employed into being employees. And I'm sure some of that will be about the impact of the pandemic and people feeling like they want the security of being an employee. Um, and some of that will be about the lack of support that some self-employed receive. But a big part of it will also be this switching classification that the government has to make happen during the pandemic. Yeah, and I'm sure those are things we'll talk about later in the discussion, you know, how our working habits have changed. Now that we're in this stage of the pandemic where restrictions are almost completely gone, England in particular has abandoned all of their restrictions for guidance. Other parts of the UK, maybe masks are still ongoing, but set to change. So how's the landscape looking now? I think that there is quite a lot of good news when you think about where we could have been. There are still some really big challenges which we should talk about. But the big picture is that unemployment in the UK is really quite low now. It's pretty much uh, back at its record lows, which, uh, you know, when we were facing those lockdowns, we just would not have expected and what happened here is that the government did continually extend the furlough scheme. Part of the reason why there were all these forecasts showing that unemployment was going to surge is that the government never really said, as happened in other countries, 
we are going to introduce this new scheme and we're, it's going to last for two years and you can feel secure that the scheme's going to be there. There was this continual getting close to the end of the scheme and then extending it, which meant that we as independent people that were forecasting this and the government's uh, forecasters had to assume that the scheme was going to end and then model what would happen to unemployment. So the good news is that because the scheme was continually extended, unemployment is very low and the number of jobs that are available as the economy is readjusting is very high. And actually, we can see in the very latest data that for the first time ever, the number of unemployed people per job vacancy has fallen to one. So there's actually enough jobs for all the unemployed people in Britain um, now. Before the pandemic, that number was at 1.5, and it shot up to four during uh, the peak of the pandemic in 2020, but it's come right back down, and it is now lower than it ever has been on the consistent data that we've got going back to 2000. I think, though there are challenges. We're in the midst of now a new but also continuation of the economic crisis of COVID with high inflation. And that's really what is driving what's going on in the jobs market right now. Pay growth is quite reasonable at 4%, but inflation is up at 5.5%. So lots of people, particularly those in the public sector, their pay rises over this year will not keep and are not keeping up with the cost of living, which is a big, big new challenge. I don't want to stray too far, but do you think that will impact the idea of retainment when it comes to jobs? If the unemployment rate has kind of levelled out at one or risen to one, will the cost of living crisis, energy prices, national insurance increases, will they all affect our retainment? This is a really big question, and I think it's one that needs to be talked about and thought about more. So there is a chance now that with this cost of living crunch, reducing the amount um, of money that people have got to spend, that people are cutting back. So we saw that the British Retail Consortium put out some data showing that the amount that people are spending in shops is falling or at least is slowing the sort of rate of increase in consumer spending. And that shouldn't surprise us because costs of things are going up. So people are able to buy fewer things and are, and are doing less spending. And that could have knock-on effects on the strength of the economy that are big enough to have an effect on the jobs market and reduce employment and maybe increase unemployment in the months ahead. It's still quite unclear how significant uh, the jobs market effect of this cost of living crisis will be. But the government and the people making the decisions about the uh, economy should be thinking really, really carefully about that. And you know, in general, we know that when household incomes are supported, that supports the economy. And at the moment, not enough is being done to support household incomes, which could have a negative effect on uh, the economy and on employment. Absolutely. And I'm sure it's something we'll all be following as we have been so far this year. So let's shift back slightly towards the kind of changes brought about by the pandemic. So have you observed any changes in our working habits or the way we work? Yeah, I think there are definitely some big changes. There's lots to talk about here. I think we could start with the rise of homeworking and how there are now more people who are working in the office part-time and at home part-time. Before the pandemic, we can see that the share of people who say that they worked hybrid or fully remotely was less than 40%. Um, and now it's up at 60%, with most of that increase coming from people working in the office for only part of the time. And this will be really good, I think, for the people who are in these jobs. It means often that they've got 
flexibility in terms of where they work and how they can work as well and they can fit their work around the commitments that they have in their lives. We can see some evidence that there's more people are saying that they're able to work because of this flexibility and they're benefiting from it. So particularly women who maybe have care and responsibilities being able to enter the jobs market because the way that people work in these office-based hybrid type jobs um, has changed. And there are some scopes there, I think, for changing the places that people work, probably within regions rather than across them. So I think early in the pandemic, people thought that if uh, remote working was here to stay, that it might massively rebalance our economy with people moving from London to the Peak District or the Lake District or something. But I think what we'll end up seeing is that people might move a bit further and have a bit longer commute. But if they still have to go into the office in the big cities, then they probably won't move very far away. So we shouldn't overdo the potential geographical impacts of this. I think, though, the, the thing that is sometimes forgotten in the discussion of this, and it's really important to understand, is that the people who will be really affected by the rise in hybrid working are the people whose jobs are dependent on people being in the office five days a week. So if you're the person that works in a coffee shop or the restaurant or the place where people might go during or after work, you might be a hairdresser that has your has your business in the middle of a big city that people used to go and get their hair cut on their lunch break, but now they're not in as much, so they found one near home. These people are the people who will be more likely to be affected um, in a negative way by the rise in home working. Um, and that might change the way some of our big cities work as well. But this is all still to play out and it will be something we must keep following closely in the months ahead. So do you expect those trends to continue? Do you think hybrid working is here to stay? I think so. We have surveyed people and asked how much would they like to do hybrid working and how much do they expect that it will continue? And yes, there's a gap between how much people would like to do it and how much they expect, but still people still expect it to be much higher in terms of the proportion of people who say that they uh, think they will be hybrid working than it was before the pandemic. So I think I think that that will be one of the long-run impacts of this pandemic on the way that we all work, yeah. And will that be a negative or a positive change? You know, like you say, some businesses, and it tends to be the lower-income workers who will be the ones who struggle from this if everyone starts working from home and away from their businesses. Um, are there any other sectors that this will kind of hinder the labour market rather than help it? That, I think, is the really big impact here. So relatively higher pay people more likely to benefit from this rise in hybrid working and relatively lower pay people working in those industries that are um, sort of servicing or um, benefiting from the spending that happens when people come into the office are more likely to be negatively affected. I think, though... But there's another uh, sort of long-run effect that is worth touching on, and that is that we can see that there has been, and this has continued to happen even as the restrictions have unwound, there has been actually a persistent uh, increase in the number of people who just have left the labour market altogether, those people who are economically inactive. That is, to some extent, quite concerning and does need to be looked into more and thought about more. So there are now 600,000 fewer people in work today than before the pandemic. And some of that is about people taking retirement, and that's probably a good thing. People, if they've got the money and they've built up the savings that might have been boosted during the pandemic when they're at home, taking early retirement. 
Uh, that might have negative effects on the overall economy if there's fewer people working, but for those individuals, it's probably not a bad thing. But at the same time, we can see that there's been an increase of almost 200,000 in the number of people who are not working because they're in long-term ill health. And some of that will be about the increase in long COVID within the population. But we do definitely need to have more research on this because some of it could be about uh, some long-running trends from before the pandemic in terms of increase in uh, poor mental health and maybe those conditions being exacerbated and worsened by the pandemic as well. Let's dive into that a little bit because one of the things I did want to talk about is both the impact of long COVID on workers, you know, people with long COVID, a large section of our community at COVID aid, they're out of work because they they simply can't work to the same standards that they used to, or their abilities are just reduced. They have fatigue. Have you noticed reports of this kind of long COVID impact in workers? And also, I want to touch on the great resignation because there's kind of discussions going on at the moment that the pandemic has helped people to realise that they can have more of a work-life balance and so have stepped out of employment altogether. Yeah, so on long COVID, we can definitely see, and I'm sure you've covered this in other discussions as well, that there's clear evidence that there is significant but relatively small number of people who are suffering with long COVID in the UK. They need to be helped with their health as much as the NHS can help people who are suffering from these long-term conditions that COVID has brought about. And to the extent that it's possible, we need employers and the government to work in in helping finding ways to get people who can do some work uh, to return to the labour market if they want to. Generally, we can see the evidence that when people move into work, yes, it's good for their living standards, but it does tend to be good for people's well-being as well. Being able to contribute through your work is generally a good thing. And as I say, we can see in the data that there's been this big increase of almost 200,000 people with long-term ill health since, since, since the start of the pandemic. And I'm sure that some of that will be the impact of long COVID. We surveyed the population as part of our um, report we put out late last year. And we actually found that it was younger workers that the rate at which people expected that they'd be out of work because of long COVID was higher. It's still relatively small, about 1% of people aged 18 to 24 that is still quite a large number of people who are saying that they think that they'll be out of work for a prolonged period of time because specifically because of long COVID. And that is definitely something that the government will need to focus on because we don't want people to be out of work because of all health. It's, it's good if people want to leave the labour market to um, do something that they really want to do, uh, to retire early, to take a career break or what have you. But if people are out of work because of ill health and there's more that can be done, then it does need to be done. You also asked about the uh, great resignation, which I, which is an interesting term. And I think it does come more from what's been going on in the American labour market than over here. Um, we did see once all the lockdowns ended that there was a spike in uh, job-to-job moves. So people choosing to move from one job to another, not being forced out because the company was closing or they were being fired or something negative, but people actively choosing to move from one job to another but it seems now that that was not the start of a big long-term increase in job mobility because people have now had a reassessment of the way that they wanted to work. It looks more likely now that that was just a product of there not being that many moves during the pandemic and then that pent-up demands or finally being able to be released and people felt more secure and 
able to move jobs because the pandemic was beginning to move into the rearview mirror because actually job to job moves uh, those sort of voluntary moves where people actively choose to switch from one job to another have now fallen back again and are still below the levels that they were before the financial crisis and this is one of the things that we've been thinking about as part of our economy 2030 inquiry is that actually people think that Britain is an economy where there's lots of people moving from job to job, from place to place. We've got a really dynamic economy. But if we look at the data, we can see that there's actually been a long-term downward trend in terms of people moving from job to job. That has a big effect on the economy as a whole because that is one of the main ways that people get pay rises in Britain, or big, chunky pay rises, is by switching from one job to another. So um, I think we do need to think about policies that might encourage and support people to move jobs because actually the great resignation doesn't really look to have been a thing in Britain. Let's let's talk about that. You know, what kind of lessons have we learned from the policies introduced during the pandemic? Which ones were the successes and what would a successful policy look like for where we are at today? Uh, There is a lot that we can learn, and I think at the moment, one of the things that is a bit frustrating is that the government doesn't seem to have learned the lessons, because they did some really good things. So the furlough scheme, I think, was obviously born of the crisis, and um, it had to be developed really quickly, and the government did a very good job of rolling it out, getting it working in quick time. Um, but But now it's gone, and it's stopped. And I think that scheme taught us that when individuals face big risks of job loss or the risk of uh, being fired or losing their job, that the amount of money that they receive when they move on to benefits when they're unemployed is just too low. And I think by implementing the furlough scheme, in part, the government was saying that they knew that that was the case and that when people moved into unemployment, the amount of benefit that they received was too low. And we can see this in the data. So for someone on the average wage... The UK um, has one of the lowest replacement rates, is what we call it. So the uh, average wage compared to the benefits that you receive, that's about 40% in Britain. So your incomes would fall by 60% down to this amount, which is significantly lower than in many other advanced economies um, and much lower than the average across the OECD as a whole. So when people move from being in work to being unemployed, there's a big living standards hit, which was somewhat helped by the furlough scheme, but is now just gone and that big living standards hit is still there for people. So policies that change that would be good. And then I think the other thing that we saw is that the government also, during the pandemic, I think also in part to help the economy more broadly, did boost the amount of benefits that people got who were out of work by £20 a week or uh, that adds up to about £1,000 a year. Now that boost has gone. And instead of boosting benefits or bringing forward the rise in benefits, um, from next year to this year to help with the cost of living squeeze. The government hasn't done anything on benefits during this latest cost of living crisis. And that will have, as we've been discussing, knock-on effects on, on the economy. And the lesson learned from the pandemic that that helped people, it helped people save, it helped people get through that tough time, doesn't seem to have been carried forwards to this, uh, to this current challenge. And then we've discussed about government needing to help, help people and focus on getting people into work. And their policies today have been quite focused on the unemployed, so the people who are actually looking for jobs and trying to help them get into work. But I think that we need a bigger focus on the people who aren't even looking for work, who aren't coming into the job centre, um, and who are instead, for a range of reasons, just sitting out of the labour market. And we want to help 
those people, some of whom will be suffering from long-term ill health, to find a way to begin to move back into employment if they can and if they want to. So at Resolution Foundation, are you kind of working on any policy recommendations to the government? Yeah, so I think there's a specific one that we're thinking about um, and that we'll be doing more work on in the coming year or so is around how can we give more support to people that lose their jobs? Because in, say, for example, in France and Germany and other advanced economies, when you lose your job, the amount of benefit you get is tied for a time, maybe for six months, maybe for a year, to the earnings that you had in your previous job. So that that big living standards hit just doesn't happen and that people are able to adjust to losing their jobs and also can spend a bit more time thinking about and choosing where they want to go to next in their employment and not having to rush back into work because they just don't have the uh, money because the benefits um, that are on offer to the unemployed are just too low. So we're thinking specifically about that and what sort of policy that would be fair to those who are out of work for a long period of time and would be fair to those who are maybe on lower earnings who would get, therefore, a lower rate of benefits if benefits were tied to their earnings than those who are on higher earnings. We're trying to think through all of those challenges, but it does look like that's something that's missing in the UK um, and that if there was policies that would change, it could be a good thing. What can we expect from the economy inquiry in the year ahead? What other aspects of the pandemic and Brexit are you looking at this year and where can we find out more about the work you're doing? Thanks for asking. So yeah, so this big project is a two-year project. In the summer, we'll be bringing together all of the evidence that we've amassed from our uh, research so far into interim report. And uh, we've still got some more papers to do before we publish that. So on COVID in particular, you can look out for a paper that will look at the geographic and the business impacts of the pandemic. So uh, have firms, for example, ran down their assets? Have individuals been able to move or have places been affected differently by the pandemic? We'll be looking at that. And then over the year uh, to come, so from this summer till summer 2023, we're going to be drilling down into those specific policies um, that we think are needed to help the country get through all these big shocks and also to find a way forward that means that we don't just lurch from one crisis to another without having a coherent plan. And, you know, Britain did, I think, used to know about where it was going to get its growth from, the businesses that it wanted, and the sectors that were important to the economy, which countries we were going to trade with, which was the EU, and the sorts of things we were going to trade with them. And now all these things are being thrown up in the air by financial crisis, Brexit, pandemic, and now net zero. And as things start to settle and as these changes start to hit, we need to have a sort of comprehensive strategy that can help us get through them rather than continuing to muddle through. So that's what we're going to try and build towards. It's quite ambitious, but there's lots more to come from us on that. And you can read more about it on our website, um, which is resolutionfoundation.org. The big picture here is that there are still some really big challenges in the UK's jobs market, particularly with people moving out of work and not even being in unemployment. But overall, the jobs market is in a much better place than it would have been if it wasn't uh, for interventions that the government put in place during the pandemic that did have a really big impact on keeping unemployment low, protecting people's incomes and helping people stay matched with the employers that they were with before the crisis began. I really enjoyed this conversation with Dan 
and I can't thank him enough for his time on this episode. I think what's really important to take away from this episode is the fact that the UK job market fared quite well throughout the pandemic, and this is largely thanks to successful policies like the furlough scheme. However, real challenges that present themselves this year include the cost of living crisis, rising inflation, and health concerns like long COVID, and it's important to understand how these will impact things like our jobs and our economy in the months ahead. It's clear that government policies really need to up their efforts to tackle these issues and provide support to employees, workers and those out of work. I look forward to following the work of Dan and the Economy 2030 inquiry to find out more about their recommendations. Please take a look at our show notes for links to any of the resources mentioned on today's episode, as well as links to our website and social media. As always, like and subscribe to COVID Matters for more conversations with experts, and let us know what you thought of this episode. Thanks for listening, and until next time, please take care.